Amen. He is worthy. Amen. Amen. He is worthy. We are not, but praise the Lord, He is worthy. This time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Emery's excited. She doesn't have to listen to Preacher Will this morning. Wouldn't you be so lucky? Amen. I'm kidding. You better not say amen to that. All right, Daniel chapter 9. Take your Bibles and open with me this morning to Daniel chapter 9. This morning, we are going to make our way through verses 1 through 19 of Daniel chapter 9. And this morning, we're going to look at what I'm calling Daniel's model prayer. We have the model prayer in the New Testament, a prayer that comes and is uh, given to us by Jesus when his disciples ask, Lord, how are we to pray? And here in Daniel chapter 9, the context is much, much different different, but we get a great example of how we are to pray, specifically a prayer seeking forgiveness and the mercy of God. And so in the text this morning, we're going to see four ways that we should pray concerning sin while seeking the mercy of God. Now, before we get started, I want to make sure that all of us understand sort of the value of this passage to make sure that all of us understand that this passage ought to be applicable to us. It ought to mean something to us. So just kind of a a quick survey this morning. Let me ask you, how many of you out there still struggle with sin? Right? That's a good all of us, right? And, And that's not just a struggle that we have from time to time. That is a consistent and an ongoing struggle. Amen? And how many of you would, would, would argue like Daniel that not only do we personally struggle with sin, but that we live in a sinful nation, right? We live in a sinful world. Amen? And so here, Daniel is going to give us a great model of how we can come before the Lord praying, seeking God's mercy and forgiveness for our sin, as well as petitioning the Lord to work on behalf of our sinful nation, on behalf of his sinful people. And so in Daniel chapter 9, we find a very, very valuable piece of scripture. Now, what we're going to see within the context of Daniel chapter 9 as a whole is Daniel in the first 19 verses that we're going to look at this morning is going to bring Bring this petition before the Lord. He is seeking God's favor. He is seeking God's mercy in the first 19 verses. In verses 20 through the end of the chapter, we're going to see God answer. But God is going to answer in a pretty amazing way. God isn't just going to simply say yes or no. He's actually going to send the angel Gabriel in person to declare the answer to the, of the Lord to Daniel at the end of chapter 9. We'll get to that next week. Lots is going to go in to the end of Daniel chapter 9, but for this morning, we're going to see four ways that we should pray concerning sin while seeking the mercy of God. And since all of us are sinners, all of us need to know how to properly pray while seeking God's mercy for our sin. So what we're going to do, we're going to jump in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all 19 verses, we'll pray, and then we'll work through the text together this morning. I promise you'll get out in time to catch the game later tonight. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, a descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, or Babylon... In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now just pause for a minute. Let me tell you what Daniel just said because he he used a lot of words to say something that's pretty simple. Daniel was reading scripture in the book of Jeremiah and he perceived from the Lord that Jerusalem's captivity, Israel's Israel's captivity should last a period of 70 years. Just to remind you of the historical context, Daniel up to this point in the time that he just gave us, the first year of the reign of Darius, Daniel had been in captivity for 67 years. And so what Daniel is perceiving as he's reading scripture is, "Uh uh-oh, this thing's about to come to an end. Amen? Captivity, according to the word of the Lord, is about to come to an end. And that is what sparks Daniel to begin praying in verse 3. So look with me now in verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy 
with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a calamity, a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice, and now O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as that day, or excuse me, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Verse 16, O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your angers and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own name's sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, so grateful and thankful for the heart of your servant David that is poured out before us in this text this morning. Lord, what a great model we have to come before you when we have sin, when we have something with which we ought to confess, Lord, which is daily, which is often throughout the day. Lord, we have this great example of how we are to bring our sin before you. Lord, pleading for your mercy and for your forgiveness, all ultimately so that you might be glorified and that your name might be made great. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we walk through this text. Help us to know how to apply this text into our own hearts, our own lives, and our own prayer life. Lord, we thank you for all that you're going to do. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see four ways that we should pray concerning sin while seeking the mercy of God. Number one, we should pray having been inspired and informed by Scripture. If you're a note taker, I want you to write these down this morning because these are going to be steps, if you will, that you can take in your own prayer life. So number one, we should pray having been inspired and informed by Scripture. Now, in verse one, Daniel gives us this kind of marker of time for 
this prayer and the prophetic answer at the end of chapter 9 by telling us that this took place in the first year of Darius's reign, also another name for Cyrus the Great. So this would place this event 12 years after the vision of chapter 8. So 12 years have now transpired between chapter 8 and chapter 9. This is about 538 BC, making Daniel over 80 years of age at this point, meaning that Daniel has spent 67 years in captivity, and in captivity, Daniel has now outlived the Babylonian Empire. And so Daniel has been in captivity for almost his entire life. He was taken captive as a teenager. He's got some decent memories of what it was like to live in Jerusalem. He's got some decent memories of what it was like to live as a free man. But for the last 67 years of his life, the vast majority of his life, he has lived under Babylonian captivity. What is amazing about this is that even though Daniel has spent the vast majority of his life in a pagan land being sort of brainwashed by a pagan people, Daniel has not faltered in his faith and in his walk with God. Daniel has maintained his faith and he has maintained his trust in his God, the God of Israel. And Daniel, we find him in verse 2, still reading scripture at 81 years old. Amen? I don't know about you, but Daniel is a role model to me. Not only has Daniel been able to endure great persecution all while bringing God immense glory, but here we see Daniel older in his life to the point where his life, the vast majority of it, is behind him, and he is still searching Scripture. He is still spending time in the Word. He's not melling it in late in life, amen? He's not just putting it on cruise control, waiting for the time that he gets to go to glory. He is still trying to figure out what God's will is for his life, what his place is in God's plan at 81, 82 years old. That's awesome, amen? And so here we find Daniel searching the scriptures, trying to figure out what God's will is. And what we find is that Daniel is reading in the book of Jeremiah when according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, Daniel is able to perceive that captivity is about to come to an end. Notice that Daniel believes scripture in the same way that we believe scripture. What is God's word? It is God's word, first and foremost. Amen? It is the word of God given to us by human instruments. So Daniel acknowledges here, this is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah was just the dude holding the pen. Amen? But it was God that was speaking through the prophet of Jeremiah, as we find out in the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. He writes the book of Jeremiah, and so as Daniel is reading in the book of Jeremiah, he puts the pieces together and figures out, hey, this thing's about to come to an end. I've forgotten how long I've been in captivity, but if my memory serves correctly, I was about 16 when this happened, and now I'm a little bit over 80. That's been 67 years. And what does Jeremiah the prophet say? Well, in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12, here's what God says through Jeremiah. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Well, what's already happened? The king of Babylon's already been judged, Amen. The nation of Babylon has already been judged. As a matter of fact, Daniel's no longer standing in the nation of Babylon. He's no longer in Babylon. He's now in the land of the Chaldeans, which now belongs to Persia. And so Daniel says all of this has already happened. The only thing left to happen is for God to set us free to end the captivity. He was probably even reading in Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Thus Daniel is reading scripture. And as he read, he realizes that God's promised exile was coming to an end. And so Daniel begins to pray to the Lord that he would bring the end quickly. That he would fulfill what he had said in his own scripture. And so as we go through this prayer, 
We're not only going to see that Daniel had been reading in the book of Jeremiah, but we're going to see throughout this entire prayer that Daniel has spent a lot of time in Scripture. Daniel is informed by the Word of God. He knows the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, as you heard me read earlier in verses 1 through 19, he's going to refer to the law of Moses, the law of Moses, the law of Moses. Why? Because Daniel's been reading Deuteronomy. Daniel's not just reading Jeremiah, he's reading Deuteronomy. Daniel knows the scriptures. And because he knows the scriptures, he is able to pray, having been inspired and informed by God's word. Listen to this. He prays in keeping with God's character because he knows the God of scripture. He prays in keeping with God's covenant because he knows the covenants of scripture. He prays in keeping with God's prophecy because, you guessed it, he knows the prophecies of scripture. He prays in keeping with God's will because it has been revealed to him in Scripture. And because of that, Daniel is able to pray with confidence because his prayer is inspired and informed by the Word of God. If you want to enhance your prayer life, if you want to enhance the confidence that you have in God answering your prayer, let me give you a key. Let me give you a a key part of prayer that you cannot miss. Read more and more of God's Word. It is in God's word that you begin to discover more and more who God is so that as you pray, you are praying in keeping with God's character. James tells us that we oftentimes pray and we don't get what we're asking for because we prayed amiss. It's like our prayers miss God because we weren't praying in keeping with who God is and we weren't praying in keeping with what God desires. Amen? And so we want to pray knowing who God is. And the more time we read Scripture, the more we understand what God's will is so that we can pray according to the will of God. If you want to enhance your prayer life, it all begins with Scripture. And so the more time we spend in His Word, the more we will know the will of God, the character of God, and the fulfillment of God's covenant, and the more our prayers will line up with God's desires. If you want confidence in your prayer life, it starts with scripture. So, first of all, we should pray having been inspired and informed by scripture. And then secondly, we should pray having the proper perspective of humility and awe. Look with me now in verse 3. In verse 3, Daniel shows us the proper perspective of how we ought to come before the Lord. And by the way, where do you think Daniel discovered the proper perspective from? Scripture. Amen. You got it, right? Scripture. You guessed it. That's exactly right. So notice Daniel's perspective concerning himself in verse 3. Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so here's what Daniel says. He says, all of this scripture led me to pray. It informed me concerning who God is and who I am, but it inspired me to pray because I knew that captivity was coming to an end. So Daniel says, I've been informed and inspired to pray, and so I turn my face to the Lord in prayer, and as I turn my face to the Lord, here's what Daniel says I notice. First of all, I notice that he is Lord. Notice the word Lord in verse 3 in your Bible. Most likely it is translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's helping you understand that here Daniel is using the Hebrew term Yahweh. This is the name for God that reminds us that God is God over all. He is sovereign over all. He is the one true God, the God whose name that we are not even worthy to utter. Amen? And what's interesting is this is the first time that Daniel has used the phrase Yahweh or the term Yahweh to name God in all of the book of Daniel. As a matter of fact, he will only use it during this prayer in chapter 9. So it's significant. Daniel is drawing attention to the fact that as I turned my face to the Lord, I was reminded that God is God and I am not. Amen. I was reminded of the fact that as I turned my face to the Lord, that I was not worthy to be in his presence, that he is only allowing me to speak to him because of his great grace and because of his great mercy. Amen? And so Daniel says, I turned my face to the Lord, and he says, I turned my face, notice, with fasting. 
In other words, Daniel gave up food because he wanted God's mercy more than he wanted to eat. And every time his belly rumbled with hunger, Daniel was reminded yet again to spend more time in prayer. That's what fasting does, by the way. You give up something, you give up food most of the time so that you can declare to the Lord, I would rather have you answer this prayer than I would eat. And every time your belly's rumbling, like right now, for instance, I know it's getting close to lunch, right? And like mine, your your belly's probably reminding you that lunch is coming, right? And every time that feeling overtakes your belly, every time you hear that belly rumble, right, you're reminded, no, God, I, I want food, yes, but I want your will more than I want this food. I want you to work more than I want food. I can live outside of having bread, but I can't live without you. Amen? And so Daniel comes before the Lord in fasting. Notice as well, though, he puts on sackcloth. Think, think burlap, right? A, a material that would have irritated the skin, right? N- none of you are, are wearing a burlap undershirt this morning, right? No matter what kind of shirt you got on, most likely you got something soft, as soft as you can get touching the skin at the moment. Right? You don't put on burlap because what? Burlap is uncomfortable. It's itchy. It's, it's, it's terrible. There's times that I've been given or have bought a sweater that I've put on the sweater and immediately took it off and tossed it across the room and said, oops, never mind. Not wearing that. Right? Because it, it's itchy. And even if I have a shirt on, it itches right in here. That's annoying. Amen? That's correct. That, that just drives me nuts to have something aggravating this part of my skin. And so Daniel says that I didn't just fast before the Lord. I put on sackcloth because I don't deserve to be comfortable before the Lord. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Daniel says, my sin's so great that I don't deserve comfort. My sin's so great that I need to be irritated because my sin is irritating to the Lord. But he doesn't just stop with fasting and sackcloth. He also puts ashes on himself, which is a sign of complete and total ruin. Right? Complete and total ruin. Something that has been burnt to ashes is completely beyond repair. It is completely and totally ruined. And Daniel sets before the Lord and he declares, I am ruined. I'm ruined. God, I have nothing to offer you but sin. I have nothing to give you but ashes. I bring absolutely nothing to the table. God, there's nothing that I have that you need. God, standing before you, I'm not worthy to stand. Daniel comes before the Lord in complete and total humility. Scripture has informed him of who he is before the Lord. And he knows that his only worth is the worth that's been ascribed to him as someone created in the image of God. Like we know today that our worth comes from Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Now, are we worth something? Jesus died for me. Amen? I must have been worth something to the Lord. I've been created in the image of God. Amen? And so I don't want to demean who I am in Christ. But I want to acknowledge that apart from Christ, I am filthy rags. My mouth is an open tomb. There is none good, no, not one. Amen? And so we want to have the proper perspective of humility as we come before the Lord. We need God's grace. We need his mercy. We bring him nothing. That is who we are. And so we come before the Lord in humility. But then notice his perspective on God in verse 4. So Daniel says in verse 3, I'm not worthy. But then in verse 4, as he prays, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God. I made concession saying to him, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So who is God? God is highly exalted. Again, he is Lord. He is Yahweh, the sovereign ruler over all things. He is great and he is awesome. Words cannot adequately describe the greatness and the awesomeness and the glory of God. Amen. We can try to put it into words. We can try to comprehend it. The reality is it's beyond our comprehension. God is great and God is awesome. And that's all we can say. More than that, we don't, we don't know how to express it, but he's great. He's greater than any greatness we've ever seen. He's more awesome than anything we can comprehend. His glory is unbelievable. But not only is he great and awesome, he is also faithful. Notice Daniel says he keeps his covenant and steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, it's covenant-keeping love. Here's what it means. It means that God's love is based upon his faithfulness and not your faithlessness. 
It means that there's nothing you can do that will stop God from loving you. Amen? It's much the same way a parent's love is supposed to work towards their children. And I can honestly say there's nothing that Noah and Haley could do that would make me stop loving them. Right? But I'm not perfect and I am not faithful like God is faithful. Amen? My love will ultimately always let them down. It will never be enough because it will never be perfect. But God's love is covenant-keeping, steadfast love. It's based upon His faithfulness, not my faithlessness. Amen? That's an awesome God. Amen? And so He is a faithful God. But not only is He faithful, but notice He is our God. He keeps His covenants with those who love Him and obey Him. Let me tell you something awesome. That God that we sang about the ancient of days, that God that we see declared as Lord sovereign over all, the great and awesome, the glorious God, he is our God. Amen. He calls us into a relationship with him. That is unbelievable. Amen. That our God loves us so much that he is so faithful to us that he calls us into a relationship with him. Yes, we who are in sackcloth, covered with ashes. Yes, we who are worth nothing. God, the God of all gods, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He wants a relationship with us. And so he made it happen because he's faithful. Amen. That's who God is. And so as Daniel comes, he comes before the Lord in prayer. It begins with scripture that leads him to the proper perspective for who he is and who God is. God is great, we are not. God is high, we are low. We're to humbly come before the Lord in all of who he is. Amen? So what does this mean for us as we pray? It means that when I come before the Lord in prayer, I want to be informed And inspired by scripture. I'm informed of who God is. And I'm informed of who I am as well. So it gives me the proper perspective. But I'm also informed of who God is according to his great mercy. And that inspires me to go before the Lord to seek his forgiveness. Because I know he forgives. I'm informed that God wants a relationship with me from the scripture. And that inspires me to come before the Lord with confession so that my sins can be forgiven so that I can have an intimate and genuine relationship with that great and awesome God. Amen? You see how this works together. The scripture informs and it inspires that I can come before the Lord with the proper perspective of who I am and who he is so that my prayers will not miss God, but they will hit God right where he sits so that he can answer our prayers. Amen. And so what we come before the Lord to do, we should pray having been inspired and informed by scripture. We should pray having the proper perspective of humility and all. And then thirdly, we should pray confessing our sins honestly to the Lord. Excuse me. Look with me now in verse five. In verse five, Daniel begins his prayer of confession for Israel again. He's inspired and informed by scripture so that his prayer is filled with biblical truth. He is also coming before the Lord with great humility and he will consistently give praise to God throughout the prayer. So notice that as we jump now into verse 5. I want you to listen in verses 5, 6, and 7. I want you to listen to the phrases that are confession where Daniel is saying, this is what we've done wrong, Lord Jesus. Here's what he says. Verse 5, we have sinned. There's number 1. We've done wrong, number two. We've acted wickedly, number three. We've rebelled, number four. We've turned aside from your commandments and rules. Turned aside, number five. We have not listened to your servant, the prophets, number six. Daniel says, God, this is what we've done. We've done all these things wrong. Notice that Daniel isn't just praying a prayer right before he goes to bed that says, God, forgive me for my sins. He's not going through the motions. This is a man that's not rationalizing or justifying or excusing his sin. He is dealing with his sin head on. He is calling his sin what it is. The term sin means to miss the mark. He says, we have sinned. God, we have missed your mark. You gave us the mark. The mark was perfection. We've completely and totally missed the mark. Yesterday, 
We were hanging out with the Ickises, and it was Wyatt's birthday last week, so we brought Wyatt a, a, a birthday present. And as any good pastor would, I like to give kids, when I'm invited to their party, I like to give them a weapon of some sort, right? And so BB gun, bow and arrow, throw a knife, axe, something like that. And for this year for Wyatt, he's six, so I felt like he probably needs a bow and arrow at this point, right? He needs something that can launch something. And I've already bought him a BB gun. So he needs, he needs a weapon of some sort. And so out there yesterday in their backyard, Wyatt is pulling the bow back, and he is trying his best to hit the target. There's a clear target, piece of cardboard that came with the bow. It is an identifiable target with a bullseye right in the middle. And he pulled back, and he pulled back, and he pulled back, and he shot, and he shot, and he shot, and he missed the mark, he missed the mark, he missed the mark, and he missed the mark. He sinned, he sinned, and he sinned, that's the term. Until finally, he pulled it back, and by God's grace, in that moment, he jerked and twitched the right way, and boom, he hit the cardboard. And you want to talk about an excited little boy, right? Because he finally did it. Well, in the same way, we're still pulling back and we're still missing the mark. We haven't hit the thing yet. But praise God, Jesus came and you know what he did? He hit the mark on our behalf. Amen? But we've sinned. We've rebelled. We've turned aside. We've acted wickedly. We have refused to listen to God's word and God's prophets. That's what we have brought to the table. Amen? And so Daniel begins and he confesses his sin. In verse 7, he says that God deserves and to God belong righteousness. But what belongs to God's people? Notice in verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. In verse 9, he says, To you, O Lord, belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against you. And here's what Daniel is declaring. Daniel is coming before the Lord, and he is confessing his sin, and he's confessing Israel's sin. He says that not only have I sinned against you, but all of us have sinned against you. Our kings, our princes, our fathers... All of us, those who are still here, those who've been driven far away, those who are near, those who are far, all of Israel have disobeyed you. And because we have disobeyed you, he says, your judgment upon us was right. I want you to notice this. Look with me in the text because this is very, very helpful in verse 11. It says, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. Look at verse 12. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. Here's what Daniel says that is so helpful. He says that God is faithful to keep his word. And he clearly said in his word that if Israel did not obey the commandment, the covenant, and the law, that he would bring upon them a great calamity. And what Daniel says is we sinned, we did not obey the law. Even though God made it clear, even though God gave it to us, we turned aside from it. We refused to listen to it. We didn't obey. So God brought the calamity that he said he was going to bring. And so Daniel says that God's judgment on our sin is proof that God keeps his word. Now that's awesome. Think about that for a minute. The conviction that God brings into your life When you sin, the consequences of your sin are all proof that God keeps his word. Not the kind of proof we're wanting, amen? It's not the assurance in the form that we want it. But Daniel says, nonetheless, it is assurance that God is real, that God is watching, and that God keeps his word. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 28, 15 and following, long chapter there, Record all the curses that will come upon Israel for disobeying the law that God gave. And Daniel sees in all that Babylonian captivity that he had to endure, he sees that the truth that God kept his word. However, 
Just like God had rescued Israel from Egypt, Daniel is now praying that God will ultimately rescue Israel from Babylonian captivity. And understand that as we come before the Lord, we are to come before the Lord in the same way. We're to come before the Lord honestly acknowledging and confessing our sin. Not rationalizing, justifying, or trying to overlook our sin. See, here's how we typically approach our sin. We acknowledge that it's not good, but we love to say that it's not good, but it's not that bad. Right? We love to make excuses as to why we're in sin. We love to rationalize it and justify it based upon other people or circumstances or other things. We like to overlook the significance of it and just act like it's not that big of a deal. Amen? That's what we do. And we are really, really, really good at it. We got a lot of practice. And it's made us experts at rationalizing and justifying our sin. So that when somebody, Daniel, comes before the Lord with an honest confession of sin, we look at it and go, whoa. Because that's not what we're used to doing. When's the last time you came before the Lord and confessing your sin, you started out by acknowledging that you are a filthy sinner that needs and deserves nothing but God's wrath. That you have purposefully rebelled against God. That we have turned aside, that we have refused to listen. Not only because we've refused to hear, but sometimes we refuse to, we refuse to read. We say, no thanks God, I don't want your word. I won't read it, I won't spend time studying it. I know what it is, but I don't want it. That's what Daniel does here, Amen. He acknowledges who God is and he acknowledges who he is and he acknowledges the sins of him and his nation and he says, God, we are wicked. We're wicked. And that's what leads him to cry out and pray for God's mercy and God's grace because he knows that he needs it. He knows that all of Israel needs it. So we should pray having been inspired and informed by Scripture. We should pray having the proper perspective of humility and all. We should pray confessing our sins honestly to the Lord. And then fourthly and finally, we should pray seeking God-honoring petitions and pleas. God-honoring petitions and pleas. In other words, above all else, we want the answer from God to bring glory to God. Notice that in the text. In verse 16, Daniel now tells God what he wants. In other words, he comes before the Lord seeking something. But again, notice as we go through, his prayer is still inspired and informed by Scripture. It's got the right perspective of humility and all, all while maintaining an honest confession of sin. Notice that in verse 16. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, So he acknowledges who God is. Where did he learn it? He learned it from Scripture. He's inspired. He's informed. He has the right perspective of God. He says, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Here's what Daniel says that is so amazing. He says, God, I've spent time in your word. and there's one thing I've learned, it's that you are righteous. Your righteousness brought upon the calamity to begin with. It was your righteousness that caused Babylon to invade Jerusalem and take me captive at 16 years old. It was your righteousness that kept me in captivity for 67 years of my life. It is your righteousness that will cause me to die outside of Jerusalem. It is your righteousness that I have never been a free man since the time I was 16 years old. God, that all happened because you are righteous. You said you would do it if we didn't obey. We didn't obey You kept your word and you did it. It was your righteousness that caused it. And now Daniel is saying, God, I want the same righteousness that caused the calamity. I want that same righteousness to end it. Why? Because your word said it would end after 70 years. Amen? Isn't that fantastic? It's the child that comes before their parent and says, I deserve the punishment. 
You said I'd be grounded for a week. You were right. I did wrong. I deserved every bit of it. Today's Friday. The weekend's tomorrow. We're good. Right? That's what Daniel's doing. He's saying, God, we, 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 we've gone through the punishment. We deserved it. According to your righteousness, you brought it upon us. And according to your righteousness, I am asking for it to end. Amen? And notice... As Daniel prays this, he's asking God to end his wrath. He's asking God to act according to his righteousness. But notice what else he says. He says, he's asking, he says, turn away from your wrath, from your city, excuse me, from your city, Jerusalem, from your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Here's what he means at the end of verse 16. We are now a laughingstock. Your city, your people, We are a disgrace. We're a byword. In other words, we are an insult. When people look at us, they laugh. When people look at your people, they see disgrace. When they look at Jerusalem, its walls are down, its temple is destroyed. They look at your holy city, they look at your people, they look at it all and they laugh. We're a joke. We're the butt of the joke. We are a laughing stock. And so here's what... Daniel asked in verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And here's the kicker. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Here's what's incredible. Daniel isn't praying this prayer just so he can enjoy something better. He is praying this prayer ultimately so that God's name would be glorified once again. He's saying, God, answer this prayer not because we deserve it. Answer this prayer not because we'll benefit from it. Answer this prayer because you deserve to be the God of grace and mercy. You deserve the righteousness. You deserve all the glory that's going to come when you set us, your people, back in your holy city. Notice he continues in verse 18. And he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. We don't deserve it, he says, but because of your great mercy. You see, Daniel is petitioning the Lord. He's coming before the Lord with pleas. He's asking God to work. God, do something. God, answer our prayers. But answer them not because we deserve it. Answer them not because we're righteous. Answer them not because we want out of this. Answer them because we still possess your name. And right now we're a laughing stock. So God, in order to bring yourself glory, demonstrate your mercy on us, a sinful nation demonstrate your glory on us, those who are weak and those who can do nothing on their own. Make us great and making us great again, God, your name will be exalted among the nations. Here's what's awesome. Daniel is inspired and informed by Scripture yet again. All this began back in verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. He says, and we and have made a name for yourself as at this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. He's informed, he's inspired, he's been in the word. Here's what Daniel says. God, you made a name for yourself when you brought your people out of Egypt. You made your name exalted among the nations. When we came up out of Egypt, everyone said, whoa, look at Israel. Who must be their God? You made a name for yourself all throughout the, 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 the adventures of Israel. He says, you made a name for yourself even in Babylon through the prophet Daniel. Amen? It was God who exalted his own name through Daniel, through his companions. And now Daniel is saying, based upon your righteousness, God, I'm asking that you exalt your name once again by letting us go. By setting us free. And that is exactly what God is going to do. And so as we conclude this morning, I want you to notice what we see again in verse 19. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God. 
Because your city and your people are called by your name. We are to seek God's glory in all things, including how we pray and including how we expect God to answer our prayers. Daniel was not praying to better his situation. Daniel was praying so that God would be glorified. Now, in this instance, Israel's situation is going to become better. Kinda. Be honest with you, they have it pretty good in Babylon. They have it pretty good in Persia. When they get back to Israel, you know what they're going to find? Desolation. They're going to suffer through rebuilding the walls. They're going to suffer through rebuilding the the, the temple. They're going to suffer through rebuilding the city. It is not going to be easy in Jerusalem. It's going to be easier where they're at. And so Daniel is saying, God, I want you to do this because of your glory. I want you to do this because of your name. And so listen, when we come before the Lord confessing our sin, we're seeking God's forgiveness because, yes, we want forgiveness. Amen? But we're seeking God's forgiveness because we've been informed by Scripture and we know that if God forgives a sinner as wicked as me, then God's the one who's going to be glorified as a response. Amen? You don't look at us and think, well, hey, they deserved it. You look at us and think, God loved them? Well, man, if God loves them, God may love me. And God is exalted and God's being glorified. And by the way, that's apparently how Daniel had been praying for his entire life. I've got an imagination that gets active sometimes. As I was preparing this and studying through this, and as I was looking at this prayer, it made me wonder what Daniel prayed 67 years before this, right before Jerusalem was taken captive and overtaken by Babylon. I wonder what Daniel was praying 67 years before this. You think he was praying, God, let Babylon overtake Jerusalem? God, let me be one of the first captives taken. God, let me be hauled off to a foreign land. God, let me be indoctrinated with foreign gods, a foreign diet, and foreign people. God put me through some horrendous test. My friends, God, throw them in a fiery furnace. For me, God, I'm praying that you'll toss me in a den of lions. And God, I want you to do all these things. God, I want you to just put us through the ringer so we can bring you glory. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I doubt it. Amen? It's not how I would have been praying. Right? It's not like Babylon came and nobody knew it. They were watching this thing transpire. Right? They were seeing it on the news, so to speak. It was in, it was in all the headlines. And we know that Daniel was apparently a kid, a youth, that walked after God because a man like... Listen, a 16-year-old kid doesn't get to Babylon and just become solid in his faith like that. All right? All right, this was, this, Daniel at 16 was walking closely with the God of Israel, or he wouldn't have done what he did, amen? And so you know Daniel, he's praying, he's seeking the Lord, right? And like us, he's praying, God, don't let this happen. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, let this cup pass from me, right? And so God answers his prayer, but most likely not in the same way that Daniel had hoped and envisioned his prayer would be answered. And I just want us to learn from that, that our our aim, our goal in praying is not that we would get the answer that we want how we want it. Our answer is that God would be glorified. That's what we're shooting for, amen? That's our goal. Our goal isn't, God, get me out of this difficulty. God, forgive me because I don't want to burn. Our goal is, God, do what you're going to do in me and through me so that you might be glorified. And if that means that things don't work out the way I want them to, I trust you anyway. If that means that your answer is no instead of yes, I trust you anyway. But God, my aim, my goal, and my prayer is that you would be honored and that you would be glorified. Now that's a hard way to pray. Amen? That's not what we're normally aiming for. We're normally aiming for what we think is best. But I'm just going to remind you, we don't know what's best. 
we mess things up all the time. So maybe we ought to trust the one who is sovereign over all things. Amen. And so let me encourage you. As we gather together this morning, some of you here are struggling with sin. Some of you here have something that you need to confess, and I don't have to As soon as I said it, boom, at the beginning of the service, God brings it to your attention. And you know what it is, and you know what you've been doing, and you know what you've been struggling with, and, and, and you need to confess that sin before the Lord this morning. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to confess that sin having been informed and inspired by the scripture that we looked at today. You now have a better idea of who you are. You now have a better idea of who God is. And you now have a better idea of his grace and his mercy that is awaiting for those who confess. Amen. And so I want you to come before the Lord inspired and informed by scripture. And I want you to confess it. And as you confess it, I want you to acknowledge who you are in humility. And I want you to stand before him in awe of who he is. And then I want you to confess it honestly before the Lord. Use terms like wicked, like rebel. Amen? Don't say I made a mistake. No, I rebelled against you. Right? When we say, we we try to minimize our sin, remember? We try to make it look better. God, I, I made a mistake, but so many people do. No, God, I am wicked. I rebelled. I knew what was right. I did what was wrong on purpose. That's who I am. And so I'm honestly confessing my sin before the Lord. And then ask God's forgiveness, not so that you can avoid consequences and punishment, but ask God to forgive you so that God will be honored as the God that forgives. Amen? Others of you are praying about something else. It may not be sin, but this this passage can still inform us. It can still inspire us. And so you bring that before the Lord, informed and inspired by Scripture. Right? You come before the Lord seeking his favor, seeking his glory and his honor and how he answers. And you lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, this is what it is. This is what I think. This is what I hope. But at the end of the day, I want you to be glorified. And so, God, if it all blows up in my face, that's fine. If you want to take me captive to a foreign land, that's fine. God, I just want you to be glorified. God, I want you to be glorified in my life, no matter what it costs. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we confess that you are the King of kings, that you are the Lord of lords. Lord, we stand in awe of you this morning. Lord, we, 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 we are, it's incomprehensible to us that you love us so much that you died on a cross for our sins. It, it doesn't make any sense to us that, Lord, you would do that for us. Because, Lord, we are wicked, we are sinful. And Lord, we do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve your mercy. But Lord, we are so grateful that your word informs us that you love us and that you died on a cross to pay for our sins, that you hit the mark when we could not so that we could escape punishment, that we could escape, Lord, everlasting hell, that we could instead experience your grace and your forgiveness and that we could become your children. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, we pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that as they confess their sin, Lord, that you would call them unto yourself into a personal relationship with you. Lord, for others, Lord, that are believers, we pray that as as you convict us, that we would confess our sins before you honestly, Lord, seeking your glory in how you forgive. Lord, for others that are bringing other petitions before you, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honored in how you bring about the answer. But Lord, we surrender to you because you are good. You are sovereign and we love you. Lord, you're faithful and we trust you. And so Lord, we pray that your will would be done in us and through us now. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.